Well, part two takes us to John chapter three. So relatable is all about the fact that God made us to be relatable. God made us with the capacity for relationships. And then the good news of the gospel is that in Christ we are remade. And part of that remaking new creation is that we get remade so we can be relatable again with God, but also with each other. Relatable, it's the way we're made, it's the way we're remade in Christ for the purpose of connecting with God and connecting with each other. And if you missed last week, that was basically it. Although you can reach back and listen, we've got a new podcast set up um, on the our Anchor podcast page. You can catch last week and, and other stuff there. Um, but it's relatable as a challenge to us um, because we tend to approach relationships with what we want rather than with what we need. We tend to approach relationships looking for what we want instead of owning up to what we need for that relationship. We approach relationships wanting validation, companionship, intimacy, friendship, communication. We want to be known. We want pleasure. We want someone to give to We approach relationships wanting what we want. Interesting note, God has already given us all of that. But what if we instead would approach relationships with what we need, with an admission that we need to be made relatable with the one who created us so that we can be relatable not only with God but with each other down here. So that takes us to John 3. One verse is the the passage that we're looking at. It's John 3.30, and let's look at that together. In the NLT, it says, He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. But the New Revised really nails it. He must increase, but I must decrease. What do you think the most important word is in that passage? Take a shot at it. I'll give three guesses. One guess? What do you think the most important word in that passage is? He? Okay, that's an important word, but that's not the one I'm fishing for. Second guess. Must. Okay, must is an important word because that's like urgency. Yes. What do you think the most important word is? But. Yes, but. But is the most important word in the passage because it's the contrast between who I think I am, who I want to be, what I'm looking for, and who Jesus is, and what Jesus is, and what Jesus deserves to be in my life. But is the contrast. But is is the most important word in that contrast, because if I don't contrast my decrease with Jesus' increase, then I've lost the meaning of that. All right, so here we are. This is a story of two friend groups um, rolling out from John 22 up through 30. Okay, so John's squad used to be the group. But then the Jesus posse came along and they started growing in popularity at the expense of the John squad. And they didn't like it a bit. So they whined to John and they say, John, we're not as popular as we used to be. But he sets things straight in John 3, 27 through 29. John sets things straight kind of like this. He says, okay, here's the deal. Jesus is the groom, and I'm the best man. And he is what you need, not I. 
And John goes on to say that not, not only is Jesus what you need, but this relationship you need with Jesus is more like a marriage than a friendship. So guys, if, um, if John is the best man, and if Jesus is the groom, then guess who the bride is? It is, it is us. It is you. So here's a, a throwback to Hosea last week, that story of how God allures us and draws us and romances us and rescues us in order to reconnect with us in relationship with Him. Same thing's going on in this passage. And John bottom lines his whole like, friend group drama with, um, with a few relational gems. Uh, one is that your relationship with Jesus needs more of Him and less of you. Your relationship with Jesus needs more of Him and less of you. Second relational gem from, from John here is that your relationships with others need more of Jesus and less of you too. Your relationship with somebody else needs more of Jesus and less of, of you too. And here's the big takeaway that a relationship not centered on Jesus, a relationship, any relationship not centered on Jesus, is like eating wedding cake with the best man instead of marrying the groom and dancing through life with, with him. Your relationships with others need more Jesus and less of you and me so that the increase of Jesus fills up the decrease in, in me. Our relationships need more Jesus and less of us so that the increase of Jesus fills up the decrease of us. So my relationships then come to be less about me and more about the Lord. And you can apply that to your relationship with your grandmother or your girlfriend. It works across the board. Okay, so um, what's right about relationships and what's wrong with relationships. That's a good place for us to start doing some groundwork tonight. What's right about relationships? And furthermore, what does that rightness about relationships say about God who created relationships to be that way? And uh, these four points come out of Genesis 1 and 2. First thing that's right about relationships is that humanity as Male and female expresses the image of God. That's there in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It's how God created us. Intentionally, it's how God created us in His image, male and female. And what that says about God is that, that God wants to be known and God wants to be shown. That if He created us to be something like Him, then He created us that way so we would know something of Him by knowing each other. And that each other would know something of God because they know you. God wants to be known and He wants to be shown. So He created His image into the likes of, of you and me. And, and furthermore, um, stereotypical traits of femininity and masculinity show up in God. We see what we consider male attributes and female attributes across the board in God. They, they show up in us because they flow from the character of God. That's one thing that's right about relationships. That our human relationships, because we're created in the image of God, male and female, express God to one another. 
Second thing that's right about relationships is this shared responsibility for creation care. The first job given to newly created humanity is, you know, y'all take care of things for me. The word dominion is used in terms of the responsibility that's given to us. God shared creation care responsibility with us and with others. So what does that say about God? It says that our Creator cares that we care for His creation. Our Creator cares that we care for creation. And this is more than picking up trash and global warming, although it is that. This is about taking care of each other as fellow creatures of our Creator God. Creation care means this responsibility that God invests in us. And that's part of being relatable. A third thing that's right about relationships is companionship and community, that we are better together over in Genesis 2.18. That's where it said it's not good for him to be alone. There should be more than one. And so then there was. What this says about our Creator God is that our capacity for community reflects the image of God who Himself lives in a triune, three-way, trinity communion. Fourth thing that's right about relationships, that marriage as female and male is a one-flesh relationship. And this shows up in Genesis 2.24. Not only is it in Genesis 2.24, but it shows up again in Matthew 19 when Jesus is asked a question about marriage. And then it shows up again in Ephesians 5 when Paul is preaching and teaching on marriage. Marriage as male and female is described as a a one-flesh relationship. And what this says about God is that God sanctifies sex by giving this unique status to marriage, calling it a one-flesh relationship. This, um, This calls out our casual, consensual attitude about sex. Because the Bible's vision is that sex is so sacred that marriage is the only place that can sustain that kind of relationship. The Bible's vision is that sex is so sacred that marriage, this covenant, is the only place that can sustain it. Okay, so four things about what's right with relationships. And notice that all came out of Genesis 1 and 2. And then that all got turned inside out in Genesis 3 and ever since. So now a few minutes on what's wrong with relationships. What's wrong with sexuality? And how do we get to this low point that we're at? Um, The image of God that we were created with, because of the fall, because of Genesis 3, is now warped and distorted. Still there. I still see God in you. You still reflect the image, but not like we used to. Distorted and warped. And now creation gets dominated instead of dominioned or stewarded. And there's a big difference. In community and companionship, it's gone from being uh, a need that's easily met by being with people to being complicated and complex and competitive 
or maybe even completely non-existent. The fourth thing that's wrong with relationships is that marriage then gets desanctified. Marriage gets desanctified as sex becomes refocused on freedom and selfish sensuality and preference. So how do we get to this low point? Um, we can literally blame it on sin. Um, Genesis 3 is like the rock hitting the pond. And the rest of biblical and human history is the ripples rippling out from that rock, from that sin, that first sin. We call that original sin. That we're left with the results of that original sin. But not only are we left with somebody else's sin, we perpetuated ourselves. So a lot of this low point that we're at relationally, it's the result of our own rebellion and our own intentional choices, anti-God, sin. The second reason that we can blame for, for the low place that we're at in the state of relationships is brokenness. Brokenness. That just means things don't work like they're supposed to. Um, John Wesley, the guy who accidentally invented a church and then got a campus ministry named after him, had a, uh, he never meant to do any of that. It just kind of happened. And um, he had a, a concept that he used called infirmity, and it's what we would call brokenness. And by infirmity, he meant a spiritual state where things don't work the way they're supposed to work. You're not able to make the choices that you wish you could make. Kind of Romans 7. Um, you don't mean to, you don't want to, but you're just not at full capacity. Um, we can blame a lot of the low point that we're at on brokenness, on infirmity. You can read Romans 8 about the fact that creation is languishing, groaning, mourning through its brokenness. Brokenness means we live in a debris field. Somebody defined marriage this way. That marriage is two broken people in a broken world doing their broken best to make it. Please tell me there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. There is grace. Okay, a third thing, how we got to this low point and, and got a slide on this, something called dis, disnurture. <laughs> um, disnurture, I mean, if relationships are made to be nurtured, but the dis kind of negates, it's like negative nurture, nurture in the wrong direction, corruption, decay. Disnurture is those influences of death and decay, and that's a quote from Romans 8, by the way. We're influences of death and decay that push us away from God's vision for relationships and sexuality. Disnurtured includes but it's not limited to the following. Well-intentioned, but very broken people. Um, if you have uh, lived any part of your life around another human being, then you've been subject to this. Um, if you grew up with a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, then you've maybe been especially subject to this. If, you're, if you've ever had a friend, if you've ever known somebody, like a classmate in school, then you've been subject to disnurture. If our, life, our lives are lived with 
around broken people. And even well-intentioned broken people can, can hurt us and can bring about dis-nurture. Could be neglect, abuse, or misuse at the hands of somebody else. It could be choices or decisions that you made that resulted in your own dis-nurture. Um, it could be from culture, from uh, watching the Academy Awards Sunday night or from tuning into the Super Bowl halftime show. It could be uh, dis-nurture from our casual, consensual attitude toward sex. Um, sex trafficking. I don't think any of you are sex traffickers. Um, but we are in a culture that is so influenced by the sale of people for other people's desires. Porn use and addiction. How about this one? Religious hypocrisy is a huge source of disnurture. Somebody who was supposed to be Jesus to you wasn't. And worse than that, they moved in the opposite direction. Disnurture comes from seeking identity and intimacy in places where God didn't intend you to find your intimacy and identity. From sex as convenience instead of within the commitment of marriage. Hey, and if you notice from this list, we are subject to far more influences that would pull us away from God's vision for relationships and sexuality than we are subject to those influences that cheer us on toward God's vision. It's uphill, y'all. It is uphill both ways. There's sin, there's brokenness, there's the disnurture, disnurture of culture and institutions. So in the context of all that, I wish you good luck with uh, all your future relationships. But there's grace. But there's grace. Let's zoom the focus in a little tighter. Uh, so much of this applies to all relationships, but we are going to zoom the focus in a little tighter on uh, male-female relationships here. All right, I've got two bad ideas and one good one for you. You pick out which is which. Um, thanks to John Tyson on the Bridgetown podcast for, uh, for, this, for these goodies. Um, one idea is to deal with your desires for sex and relationship is... To, uh, to fear your desires, to try to defeat your desires. And the typical way that we do this is through willpower to carry out some moral standards, which might bring some temporary success, but ultimately results in failure, which leads to even more fear and despondency. Second idea. Follow your desires. Pursue them, follow them. Your desires plus, I mean, consensual is such a word in our, in our culture. Um, as long as nobody gets hurt, it's okay. But can I tell you that if anything happens outside of God's vision, if anything happens for anybody outside of God's vision for relationships and sexuality, then somebody just got hurt. Um. If anything happens outside of God's vision for our best, then somebody just got hurt. So follow your desires leads to freedom, but, and ultimately to chaos. 
John Tyson says, sexuality used outside of God's vision has enough combustive force to incinerate conscience, vows, family commitments, religious devotion, and almost anything else in its path. So there's one last um, option, one last idea, and that is to offer your desires to God, to bring your desires, be honest to God, be honest with God about what you think, what you feel, what you've experienced, what you are experiencing. Honest to God, bring your desires, lay them there before God. You're not telling Him anything He doesn't already know, so don't worry about surprising Him. Um, Offer your desires to God and ask Him to transform you and your desires according to Jesus' vision for relationships and sexuality and male and female. And no, this doesn't mean it's automatic and quick and easy. And it doesn't necessarily even mean that it goes exactly the way you want it to go. But when you surrender your desires to a good God who is strong enough, that's the very best thing that you can do. Bring your sexuality to Jesus. Do do you know the people that Jesus was the kindest to? Any guesses? Children and sexually broken. You know who Jesus was ruthless to? (laughs) The religious hypocrites. The kindness of Jesus on full display with the sexually broken. So fear not (laughs) in coming to Jesus with your stuff. So, what's Jesus' vision for relationships and sexuality? This is way more than rules. This is Jesus' Jesus's way is a vision of reality and truth, according to our Creator. Okay, it starts with that list of four things that are right about relationships. So, uh, see above. Four things that are right about relationships. Jesus' vision starts there in Genesis 1 and 2. And then building on that. Jesus' vision for relationships and sexuality means that our deepest intimacy is to come from our ultimate identity, which is as children of God. Our deepest intimacy is to come from our ultimate identity in God. Flawed approach is to base your identity on a lesser but accessible source of intimacy. A faithful approach is to get your deepest intimacy from your ultimate identity in God. Another part of Jesus' vision for our relationships is, in all relationships, we're called to love like we are loved. Love in the way that God loves us. Consult Psalm 136. It says it about a hundred times that God's faithful love endures forever. It's love that distinguishes our God from other so-called gods and lords. We're called to love like we are loved. And then there's 1 Corinthians 13. Measure your love against the love that is expressed there. Jesus' vision for relationships includes forgiveness. There is no relationship without forgiveness. When a married couple and, 
and, uh, and I, I give them the vow, uh, for better, for worse. I tell them ahead of time that when you say those words to me, for better, for worse, you are implying forgiveness in advance. You're implying a commitment to forgive through whatever it is that comes. For better, for worse. A prior commitment to forgive as relationships give us so many opportunities to need forgiveness. Ephesians 5 um, speaks of a mutual submission. It says, 5.21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And whatever all else the Bible has to say about who submits to whom, it says prior to that, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is about marriage and this is about all of our relationships that in submission to Christ and trust and trusting God that we're freely submitting and subjecting ourselves to each other. There's encouragement and edification. Read about that in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Just the, 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 the stuff that relationships thrive on. There's common ground. Read about that in 2 Corinthians 6. 14, 15, that's the passage that kind of famously says, don't be unequally um, connected or yoked with, with those who don't believe. Common ground, like-mindedness is so important. That, uh, that list of thriving, um, the thriving list that I uh, shared with you last week, uh, those, uh, those um, traits are all part of Jesus' vision for relationships. And in case you run out of ideas, uh, go to the fruit of the Spirit Read the Sermon on the Mount. Any biblical truth, any kingdom values applied in the context of people is part of Jesus' vision for our relationships. And then one last thing I'd say, this business of the image of God as male and female. Christian people see this differently. And I don't mean any disrespect if you view this differently from how I'm, I'm seeing it and saying it. But, uh, but my best understanding is uh, about male and female is that while there certainly are differences, and thanks be to God that there are differences between, between us, that fitness for authority and leadership, fitness for authority and leadership, is not what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about differences between men and women whether that's being a policeman or a pastor um, or what. And I realize I just like, sideswiped a can of worms and I'm not going to go on and have a lot more to say about it right now, but I'd welcome further conversation on that or any of this. But that needs to be part of this conversation, I feel. So let me wrap it up with, with a do and a don't. Don't treat Jesus' vision for relationships and sexuality as a to-do list or as a checklist or as a rubric of all the things that you have to do to get an A. Don't. Instead, do view Jesus' vision for relationships and sexuality as a surrender opportunity, as an opportunity for you to see something that's bigger than you are, that's different from you, as an opportunity, as a surrender opportunity to yield your desires and even your past and even your future right here in this present moment, but a surrender opportunity to yield your past and your present to the one who can transform you 
wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your hopes and longings and desires and dreams are. But to yield all that is in a surrender opportunity to Jesus so that you can walk with Jesus, relatable to Him and relatable to each other. It is true, it is true for you. It is true, and there is grace for all of this. And there's grace for a fresh start. If where you are is at a place of looking back with some regret and wishing things had been different, what you do with that is say, God, I wish things had been different, but we can't change the past, can we? But we can sure change now. And we can sure change what's ahead. So just be that honest with God and trust His forgiveness that's yours in Christ and walk on in a fresh start with Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the joy of being relatable with you. May all of our other relating be dwarfed by the joy of relating to you. Would you forgive us where we failed you? Would you wipe it clean where we fell short of your vision? Would you give us the fresh start to move forward in a new way? And would you fill up our relationships with joy and peace and hope that overflow from our relationship with you. We're putting our trust in you and we're giving you our thanks. Amen.